the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. What's going on, everybody? This is hour two of the Andrea K Show tonight on this beautiful Friday Eve. I'm your host, guest host, I should say, Riley. Riley McBride filling in for Andrea K tonight on AM eleven seventy. The answer, San Diego. Wow. We have a lot going on. That was quite a first hour. Um, If you missed any of it, be sure to find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you can. We're streaming all around the world thanks to podcast technology these days, which is a beautiful thing. But I do want to I want to pivot to some some interesting news. There's a lot going on with this Biden White House He just met with Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, to talk about defending Ukraine's territorial sovereignty, while the territorial sovereignty of the United States is trampled upon by thousands and thousands and thousands of military-aged young men who were coming from all sorts of countries all over the world, pouring into this country. Um, There's no game plan. There's no real strategy here. There is no border policy. It's it's concerning, but what I will say is that the Biden administration is definitely putting our taxpayer dollars to use in some ways, at least, um, including with this new Merry Christmas video. I'm not sure if you saw it. Of course, they don't actually say Christmas or mention Jesus or anything related to Christmas itself, which is not secular, but religious, obviously, but... We live in a secularist, materialist world, and they're really trying to pitch religion as some sort of cultural American institution as opposed to being a Christian institution, which again sounds so silly and ridiculous to someone who's Catholic like myself. But I will say, if you haven't seen it, go find this video online. It is hilarious. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, one of the greatest doctors of all time, right behind Dr. Pepper, Dr. J, and Dr. Dre, Put this out on Twitter, actually, of all places, where you can find me at Riley underscore McBride underscore. You can also find us at AK Show San Diego. So please feel free to reach out. But, you know, just while we're speaking of Twitter, I'm not sure if Dr. Jill Biden was expecting, you know, praise for this or I'm, I'm not sure what the logic was, but it's a very odd video. Lots of different moving parts. And, and it's it's clearly um a fluff piece that's designed to boost Biden's popularity, right? They're trying to, um, let's just say, revive his campaign a little bit because his reelection bid is not looking well. Even CNN was reporting this week that Donald Trump, his predecessor, is eclipsing him in, in the newest polls in Georgia by five points and in Michigan by 10 points. Biden won Michigan. 
handily, allegedly, in 2020 in that presidential election. I can't believe it's already about to be the next presidential election. On one hand, it feels like it's only been a couple of years since we've had Biden. On the other hand, it feels like it's been an eternity. <laughs> because nothing's going well for him. So I'm not sure what's, what's happening. I'm not sure. I, I don't think he's going to be reelected. I don't even think he's going to be the Democrat Party's nominee. Maybe you call you you I want to hear from you by the way on this. Reach out to us again at AK Show San Diego or at Riley underscore McBride underscore. Tell me what you think. Do you think Joe Biden is going to be the Democrat Party's nominee next year? If it's a Biden Trump rematch, Trump's going to win. The polls show it. It's 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 unbelievable. Putting Biden up to be the nominee would be a losing mission. And I'm sure that the DNC knows that. I'm sure that um, Podesta knows that. I'm sure the Clintons know that. I'm sure all of the important, you know, influencers within that world understand full well that Joe Biden is not a popular man. He might be even less popular than Donald Trump was in the sense that, I mean, Trump was popular among Republicans, but obviously not at all among liberals and Democrats. But it seems like Joe Biden isn't even popular with that many Democrats. It seems like a majority of Democrats at this moment in this country would like to see somebody else, like, say, I don't know, California Governor Gavin Newsom, take the reins. The next generation of communism in America, turning the U.S. into the USSR, because that's what we're going to get with people like George Soros and Gavin Newsom, and that's exactly what we're getting with all of these stunts, like the protest on the 110 freeway the other day, which is just ridiculous. Um, these people think that they have the right to stand in the middle of a freeway during rush hour traffic, they are so lucky that there were no major injuries or car accidents. I just cannot believe it. But that's all to say because every left-wing protest kind of devolves in the same way. And the Biden administration has been kind of devolving and falling apart, right? Whether it's fiscal policy or foreign policy, energy policy, border policy, you name it. It's It's... Incredibly clear now that Joe Biden has been privy to his son Hunter's nefarious business acts with foreign entities, some of whom are tied to the ruling parties of adversarial countries that feel um, that, that don't like the United States. Let's just say that. And some of it seems almost like a quid pro quo. I mean, Burisma bribes Joe and Hunter Biden five million dollars each. And just a few years later, a war breaks out. Biden gets elected and sends hundreds of millions of dollars to Ukraine, including the latest round. And it just doesn't seem to be making a difference. I, I wonder where is the money going? Because the Ukrainians have lost Luhan or, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk and many other regions, possibly permanently. And if Ukraine keeps fighting this war against Russia, they stand to lose everything. I mean, Russia is holding their own in this. The Biden administration, once again, talking about the U.S. government lying to the American people. The Biden administration, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, they all said, when, when, when Putin first invaded Ukraine, they all said, and I don't know if Putin's a good guy or not, I don't think that he is, but still, look, if your goal is peace for Ukrainians, you really care about the Ukrainian people, Stop sending them off to fight in a pointless battle that is costing them millions of, of dollars. It's costing them their, their security, their prosperity. So many young men and women have died fighting on the front lines of a, of a pointless war that could have been prevented from day one. 
And that's what we get for listening to the Biden administration, which said they could easily crush Russia with economic sanctions. Well, it's not happening. And now it seems like a lot of people are finally realizing Biden's foreign policy is is disastrous, particularly when it's in the hands of somebody who may or may not be high on crack. Hunter Biden is not fit to be serving on the board of Burisma. He's not fit to be collecting sacks of cash in foreign countries simply because his last name is Biden. But that's exactly what's going on. And people need to know about it. There's no way to spin this. There's no way to reframe it. These are the facts. This is the truth. Now, the question is, what do you do about it, right? I mean, and that's been the question all along. I don't know if if you guys think that this impeachment inquiry or this process will move the needle. Some It's been divisive. I mean, some people are really hawkish about impeaching Biden. Some people in the GOP and the Republican Party don't want to because they think it's pointless because he won't ever be removed or the, or they just don't see a, see a chance or a world in which he is actually pulled from office. But I know this. He's not going to be the nominee. Mark my words, Joe Biden will not be the Democrat Party's nominee for the presidential election of 2024. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably going to be Gavin Newsom. He's unfortunately slick. The media loves him. He, he runs one of the most populous and wealthiest states in the country. Being governor of California is a big feat. At one, at one point in time, Ronald Reagan was actually governor of California. <laughs> oh, how the mighty have fallen. And the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, Newsom is running this state into the ground, and I hope he never gets the chance to run this country into the ground, at least not in the same way that Joe Biden has. But look, at the same time, maybe that's what it's going to take to sort of spark a conservative renaissance. Maybe things need to get a little more bleak before they get better. I don't know. But what I, what I will say is it definitely seems like Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024. All of the indictments and pressure on him has totally backfired. And now even CNN is talking about the fact that Trump is leading Biden in the polls with old voters, young voters, registered R's, registered D's. Trump, Trump is crushing it in the polls right now. And not just against Biden, but also against his fellow challengers, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley. There's just no, there's just not much excitement for any, anyone else right now besides Trump. He's still relevant. He's still around. And I think he could still win a primary and a general election. I really do. I could see maybe having Ron DeSantis as a serious contender down the road, but I think he needs to do some reflecting and some recalculating. Um, I don't think he handled this, this election season well at all. And it's, it's really showing now because the deep state has been emboldened They've been unhinged. Let's not forget that the FBI raided Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago and DeSantis let it happen. I don't want to beat him up, but that was not a good call. He should have done more to counteract and combat the deep state. And now it feels like Vivek Ramaswamy is basically the only person who's spending any, any, spending any time, I should say, actually talking about the deep state and what we can do about it. It's not just about identifying the problem. It's also about proposing solutions. How can we reclaim this republic? How can we take it away from the power-hungry tyrants who've corrupted the institutions and turn them on anybody who criticizes them? Which, by the way, is exactly what a police state is. And thank you to people like Dinesh D'Souza for bringing attention to that. Um, I haven't seen police state yet. 
If you guys have, let me know if it's good or not. I want to know what your thoughts are. I've heard good things, but I haven't had time yet to see it myself, but I really would like to. So please, if it's good, let me know. You can reach out to me at Riley underscore McBride underscore. Please let me know. I really am curious, but maybe you can also let me know if you think we're living in a police state. Maybe you have some wacky stories that you want to share. If it's wacky enough, maybe I'll talk about it on the air. Who knows? Maybe even with Andrea. It's hard to say, but what I can say is that we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back, so please stay tuned. There's a lot more to go over on this beautiful, glorious Friday Eve. And I'm happy to to be here with you all. So please, again, make sure that you uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea Kay on The Answer San Diego. I actually have a really, really funny plagiarism story because... <laughs> Look, we all make mistakes, right? It's a, it's a part of growing up. It's a part of living and learning, you know? Um, it really is. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about Claudine Gay, the Harvard president, who clearly... Well, it seems pretty clear to me, in my opinion, that she's plagiarized multiple different authors and multiple different papers of hers. She's only written 11 papers in her academic career. Professors used to write about 11 papers every single year. (laughs) It's common to write 10 to 11 papers and, and put out other articles and things every single year. She only has 11 in her entire career, and nearly all of it is about race, gender, identity, the intersection between them. And that number is, again, that's what you'd expect for, say, an average assistant professor, maybe at a state college, but not for the president of an Ivy League institution. And of those 11 papers, it seems like five of them are facing scrutiny for plagiarism. Five, half of her library seems to have large sections that have been plagiarized. It's it's pretty wild stuff. But I will say this, because I'm not going to defend her. I think that she should be uh, removed from her position. I don't think that she's fit for the job on her own merits. But also, her question, or her character, is called into question. I mean, I, what, what kind of person is this in terms of morals and values and vision? This is about integrity. It's also about intelligence, you know, intellect. But it's more so about integrity when you talk about plagiarism, because that means somebody is willing to use somebody else's work and pass it off as their own. And that's just wrong. It truly is. And actually, it's happened to me. Maybe that's why I'm so passionate about this. Some, I've been plagiarized. I've been on the receiving end of it. It doesn't feel good. Let me tell you, folks, it doesn't. When I was in 10th grade, I was a sophomore in high school here in San Diego. And uh, <laughs> I had this English class that I really did not enjoy at all, truly. Um, but I had a, a plagiarism incident in that class because we were we were reading some book. I forget which one. And um, maybe it was some existentialist book, um, gosh, by maybe I want to say Albert Camus. Anyway, please, if, if, if you know the book that I'm thinking of, is it The Stranger by Camus? existentialist literature i don't know but but please reach out 
AK Show San Diego, email Andrea or reach out to me on X, Riley underscore McBride underscore. I don't know. That's not relevant. The point is, we're reading some book. We had to do journals about it once a week. We write up some, you know, report. This is what we're talking about in the book. This is what's going on. These are the themes. These are the motifs. These are the rhetorical devices. This is what's interesting to me. Blah, blah, blah. Imagery, rhetorical devices, yada, yada, yada. And I had a friend, a good friend of mine, who's no longer an acquaintance, who shall rename or remain unnamed. But this old friend of mine in high school, he hated this class. He hated, I think, reading. <laughs> And he certainly hated writing. He didn't like doing these. So I remember there was this one time where basically we were in the library at lunch and he knew that the um, report for, for the current chapter we were on was due the next period in English class. I didn't feel good about it, but he came to me and he was like, hey, man, I really, really tried. I tried to write something good, but I just couldn't. Can you help me? And I said, well, sure. What do you mean? Help how? And he looked at me and he said, well, it would be great if I could see your paper. And I said, well, I don't really think that that's, you know, a good idea. This is my work. And he said, trust me, I, I assure you, I just need to see the paper because I want to read it and look at your response and sort of touch on the same themes or the same elements that you hit on. Maybe I can bring up some of those points. It'll just be a writing tool for me. That was the bill of goods that I was sold. I thought that I was helping a classmate and a friend of mine, and I thought that he only was using it because he wanted to read my, my response for the week and then you know use it as inspiration. I thought that I was his muse. Turns out I was being made a fool because I told him, do not copy anything in this paper. Don't use any of my language. Don't lift any of my sentences. And certainly do not copy anything verbatim or word for word. Do not copy or lift anything from this paper. This is my work product. You need to make your own work product. I'm willing to help you, but I'm not willing to work for you. I thought that was a fair compromise. So that's what we did. It turns out, lo and behold, this friend of mine, let's call him Brian, copied my entry, my journal, my blog, word for word, comma for comma, every single line. And you want to know how I know? Because this teacher of ours, you know, we after lunch ended, we went to third period, we went to English, he gave me back my paper, we, we handed everything in. The next week maybe on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, she called me into her office before the period started. And she sat me down and she asked me if I had anything I wanted to tell her. And I said, no, I was very confused. And she said that she had some concerns maybe about plagiarism or stolen work, which does not sound like me. So I was shocked, obviously. I had no idea what she was talking about. She pulls out two papers. And in her left hand, it's Brian's. In her right hand, it's mine. She puts them on the desk that I'm sitting in, right there on the table, and she shows them to me and says, I want you to look at these two papers. These are two different journal entry submissions from last week from two different students, but they are word for word identical. 
word for word verbatim. Every single thing. Literally everything. I was shocked. I, By the way, I was given a slap on the wrist, as they say. I had no any I had no previous history of anything like this, nothing in my academic record. Um this was a fluke, a one off, an isolated incident. I learned my lesson very quickly. Fifteen and a half year old me learned the hard way. Um plagiarism is serious business and the the amount of just embarrassment and shame that I felt. I think that was the real kicker. I rem- I remember feeling embarrassed because it, it, it's just it's it's just so sloppy and so careless, and it looks bad. And even though I wasn't the one copying, I was the one that was whose work was copied, I still enabled somebody to plagiarize. So I, I want people to know, I, I, I speak about this, this issue with Harvard, with Claudine Gay, with all the academic integrity issues. I understand that, that uh, plagiarism, unfortunately, is very, very common. It's very common. I've even been wrapped up in it in myself. Only in that situation, but still, I understand, personally. Having said that, though, why is Harvard defending Claudine Gay? You know, and I'm trying, and I, and I want to, you know, I know, I, know, I know at this point this, this story just keeps circulating and circulating, but I think it's really important that we keep sort of talking about it, at least as it continues to come up, because there are so many hardworking academics who play by the rules, and this makes them all look terrible. It truly does. I mean, it only takes one sort of bad apple to ruin the whole bunch. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Claudine Gay. I mean, Liz McGill at UPenn, she had to step down for her comments over anti-Semitism. And with Claudine Gay, um, or Liz McGill had to step down from UPenn, but Claudine Gay doesn't, even though she's seemingly defended anti-Semitism and defended instances of plagiarism. What, is that, what kind of message does that send to the American people? that you can cheat the system and we'll reward you for it, that you don't have to work hard, that you don't have to play by the rules like everybody else. It truly is. It's frustrating. It's very maddening. I mean, institutions that used to be dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom have been reduced to hubs of left-wing extremism, anti-America propaganda, violent protests and, and, and looting and clashes with law enforcement. And professors who not only defend anti-Semitism, but defend plagiarism. And this isn't some assistant professor or some professor of practice. This is the highest ranking official at one of the most distinguished colleges in the country. So yes, I'm holding her to a high standard because she's in a position of incredible power and influence. And this isn't about her identity. It's not about anything other than the fact that it seems like she's cheating the system. And she refuses to condemn calls for violence against Jewish students. And that's just not okay. It's just not. Plain and simple. But I will say this. I've had personal experiences with plagiarism, obviously. And that's all to say that I understand how important academic integrity is. And that's why I think this this story is just really important. It feels like so much of modern society is about evading personal responsibility for one's actions and that's exactly what's going on here you can't run away from your problems and you have to be better than this we deserve better than this and the students of harvard deserve a lot better than this all right everybody stick around stay tuned we will be right back after a short break so again please stick around
K, Dynamite in a Dress, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, she's on The Answer San Diego. It's such a beautiful, miraculous, special time of year, and I, I don't know about you, but I like sharing my sort of Christmas cheer with other people. I try to say Merry Christmas and God bless and peace be with you as, as much as I possibly can. Um, I just really, really love the Christmas spirit. I love the story about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am just... Uh, enamored by it truly and i love to wish people merry christmas and that's something that you would think would be totally cool at least in a christian country like ours i mean all of the founding fathers aside from perhaps thomas jefferson were christians and were descendants of western christian europe and that judeo-christian moral framework that we get from the bible is the basis of everything that we're doing here the the u.s government exists first and foremost to protect our God-given rights. It's not political, it's theological, and that is different. But still, some people today, in 2023, have the gall to be offended when they hear the phrase, Merry Christmas, around Christmas time, in a, in a Christian country in which we say, God bless America, and we write in God we trust on our money. It's like, imagine going to the heart of the Arabic Islamic world. Imagine going to Mecca and around the time of Ramadan and getting upset when people, you know, uh, say happy Ramadan or, or whatever it is, whatever other slogan or saying there is to commemorate that holiday in the Islamic world. It's ridiculous. Uh, being upset about Christianity in the heart of a Christian country. That's your progressive ruling class managerial elite for you. All these little Grinches and Scrooges running around, making sure that on one hand, we all hate Christmas because it's Christian, but on the other hand, we have to celebrate Jill Biden's Christmas video, if you will, although they never say Merry Christmas, no real Christmas imagery besides trees which can be secularized. The Christmas tree has been secularized. It just makes people think of this holiday. That's It's really a shame, in my opinion, to see the secularization of America. It feels like we're losing the soul of this country. Um, but that's... that's it, it's unfortunate. It's Maybe it's just a byproduct of this sort of modern, liberalized, multicultural, pluralist world. And I get it, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of, ex of expression... The Founding Fathers did not want to impose any set of morals or, or religious framework onto their fellow man. And I, I appreciate that because it's about power, giving people the power to sort of follow what they will, to sort of believe what they want, to embody the values they want. It, it, it's about power. It's about freedom. I get that. However, I don't understand what the big deal is when it comes to wishing people Merry Christmas in a country that largely is influenced by the, the traditions of the Judeo-Christian West. This America is not just some idea. America is a specific place inhabited by a specific group of people who are supposed to share certain values and certain visions 
for how to live and how to govern. So it's it's frustrating to me that that saying Merry Christmas around Christmas time is somehow a controversy. I I look if if someone is so easily offended that they're willing to write an an, an article in the Washington Post telling people not to wish them Merry Christmas, which is what happened then I, I don't know what else to say, but the fact that people are taking to the rags of the Washington Post where allegedly democracy goes to die, uh, it, I mean, this one author says it's impolite and alienating to assume that I follow your religion. Well, look, it, it's not impolite to wish someone a Merry Christmas, again, in a Christian country in which people swear on Bibles in courts of law before they testify or take the stand. I think what's what's really more silly or impolite or alienating is assuming that people in this country would not have any connection to God or to our Judeo-Christian roots. It's it's really it, it boggles my mind the fact that this is an issue in modern day America. We we must have so much luxury and so much time on our hands and abundance and material wealth if we can sit around here and complain about issues like that. People telling you Merry Christmas before Christmas is a non-issue. And if that's really the, the highlight of your, of your journalism, then you need to, you need to get out more, frankly. <laughs> but it does, it does sort of, you know, segue us or lead us into a good conversation about the giving spirit and about the fact that we're all made in the image and likeness of God. We're all equals, okay? That, that's how it's supposed to be. We're, we're all made with the same amount of love and care in the image of the Lord. And that's why it's frustrating for me to see the sort of modern-day progressive reiteration of racism and bigotry and hatred. And that does bring us to the Boston mayor, Michelle Wu. She She seems to be quite a character. She's defending her idea for having a holiday party that excluded white city council members after receiving backlash when the invitation was leaked online. We talked about it a little bit just yesterday, but I wanted to revisit the story. Seven out of the 13 council members are white and were quote-unquote uninvited from Wu's electeds of color party after they were mistakenly emailed the invitation, originally reported, I think, by the New York Post, Mayor Wu, she defended the segregated holiday party and said that it's actually been going on for years. She uh, admitted that these council members were accidentally invited, and she said that it was just an honest mistake. She said, quote, We've had individual conversations with everyone so people understand that it was truly just an honest mistake that went out in typing the email field. Mistake, Freudian slip, on accident, on purpose. It's still evil. Now, Wu, Boston's first non-white female and Asian-American mayor, became the subject of criticism when Director of City Council Relations Denise Dos Santos accidentally sent the invitation to all city council members instead of just the racial minorities. Wow. Boiling people down to minority and non-minority. Just disgusting. Uh, Just 15 minutes after that initial invite was sent out, White members had their invites revoked. Uh, 
DeSantos wrote in an email, I wanted to apologize for my previous message regarding a holiday party for tomorrow. I did send that to everyone by accident, and I apologize if my email may have offended anyone or came across as so. Sorry for any confusion this may have caused. It did not take long, as you might imagine, for screenshots of the, the invitation to make rounds online and circulate throughout social media, including on Twitter. Um, and there's a lot of information that sort of come to light about this. Apparently, this has been happening for a long time. According to one account online, the Boston Accountability Network, they say they've done some research on this. They've done some homework, and they say that Wu, Mayor Wu, had even scheduled the electeds of color party for the same day as the city council's all-inclusive holiday party. And apparently these separate but equal-esque gatherings were justified by claims that the of-color party had been a years-long tradition. Oh, so the evil's been happening for a while, huh? Wu said, quote, I've been a part of a group that gathers representing elected officials of color across all different levels of government in Massachusetts, a group that has been in place for more than a decade and the opportunity to create a space for people to celebrate and rotate who hosts. The mayor continued. She said that she looks forward to celebrating with everyone at the holiday parties that we have besides this one. Right, right. Okay, well, there's no spinning this. I mean, this is open racism, and it's justified by the fact that it's been happening for a long time. I mean, why do you have the need to hold different parties for different people depending on the color of their skin? Again, we're all equals, we're all children of God, and we're all supposed to be united together as Americans, or even as Bostonians if you're in Boston. So this is unbelievable to me, the idea that you're having separate parties for separate groups of people simply because you don't want what? You don't want different racial groups mixing why is that bad it's unbelievable while some people by the way were disgusted at this color only party a white city council member and democrat frank baker said he was not offended at all he's internalized the white guilt he said quote i don't really get offended too easily to offend me you're gonna have to do much more than not invite me to a party but he did say i find it unfortunate that with the temperature the way it is that we would further that division. Gee. Yeah, you don't say, Frank. It is disappointing. It's sad, but I guess that's the state of the world where we are right now, which means we have to fight like hell to combat it. All right, everyone. Speaking of, though, we are coming into the last segment of the show tonight here on AM 1170, The Answer San Diego. Riley McBride filling in for Andrea K tonight. So please stick around because... You're not going to want to miss our final segment of the evening. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Telling you like it is, while eating a donut too. It's the Andrea K Show on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for sticking around. 
Kevin McCarthy's quite an interesting guy. We're going to pivot to him in Congress because Kevin McCarthy has delivered his farewell speech on the final legislative day of his uh, of his career because it turns out Congress is no longer in session. They've gone on recess for Christmas break. And the former House Speaker, a Republican congressman, if you can call him that, from California, delivered a farewell speech on the House floor today as he wrapped up his final legislative day after announcing a surprise resignation earlier this month, which, by the way, comes, uh, again, at the end of the year. It's going to um, mark the end of a 17-year stint in Congress, which included a nine-month period as Speaker of the House, although his tenure has been pretty hectic at times, McCarthy says that he would not do anything differently if he could go back in time and do it over again. In fact, on the record, he said, quote, One thing I think we must quite understand, and if there's advice I can give, do not be fearful if you believe your philosophy brings people more freedom. Do not be fearful that you could lose your job over it. I knew the day we decided to make sure to choose to pay our troops while war was breaking out instead of shutting down was the right decision. I also knew a few would make a motion. Somehow they disagreed with that decision. Do it anyways. I would do it all again. Wow. What a, what a little bit of revisionist history that truly is making it sound like all of the Republicans who, who were disappointed in him for caving on the, on the budget deal uh, with Joe Biden is somehow treasonous. Oh, it's, it's those radical conservatives like Matt Gates who want fiscal responsibility, who are tired of spending money that we don't have on things that we don't really need right now. God forbid somebody come into Washington, D.C. and cut government spending. Because when he's talking about delivering people more freedom, what it really sounds like he's saying is anybody who criticizes him or criticizes the uniparty establishment or wants to rein in government spending or make it smaller or reduce it in size is some sort of unhinged radical who just isn't really worthy of being reelected. McCarthy is, he just does not seem like a very graceful loser uh, in many different ways. But look, he, uh, his, his leader, his career, I should say, in House leadership began during the Obama days with the California Republican becoming a top lieutenant under then-Speaker John Boehner. When Boehner left, McCarthy was seen as the next in line for the speakership, only to withdraw his name at the last minute, so Paul Ryan took the spot. But eventually, Ryan left Congress, and Kevin McCarthy finally achieved his goal of becoming Speaker earlier this year, but it took a lot of different votes and he had to negotiate with conservatives, who eventually gave him the speakership. But still, from day one, there was a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of dissent. People were not happy with him. So this coup from Matt Getz, who ousted him, it was not surprising, and it was ultimately the right thing to do. I've got mixed feelings about the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. But I will say he's already done much more for conservatives than Kevin McCarthy ever did. In nine months, Kevin McCarthy did not really move the needle in any meaningful way. So he can spin this and rewrite history all he wants. I thank him for his service. He's been in Congress almost 20 years. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. But 
just just bow out gracefully. Uh, there there is no point in trying to spin this, um, because he, Kevin McCarthy. The truth is, he's not an effective leader. He's not even really particularly all that conservative. So for me, it's about values and vision. I don't think he's particularly conservative. I don't think he really stands by the Constitution. I don't think he really stands by the foundational values of this country. I think he plays ball with with Democrats and moderate Republicans. I, I just don't see him as a real leader. I don't see him as a man of the people. So I'm not going to miss him. Now, McCarthy, he spoke to mostly an empty chamber today with just a handful of Republicans listening to his remarks. Many lawmakers already left. They went home for the holidays. But as for the future of Kevin McCarthy, it's hard to say. He has said that Trump can expect his full support. So he will be endorsing Trump, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> which is hilarious, especially for anyone that remembers the sort of politicking last year in the in the midterms of 2022, when so many Republicans, especially in California, Republican candidates were trying to distance themselves from Trump, including Kevin McCarthy. Now he's saying he's going to uh, throw his support behind Trump, which I guess is good. It's just funny how uh, things change over time. But I don't know. I, I think that there really is a new dawn and a new day for the Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy just doesn't really understand it. Maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's generational. I don't know exactly what it is, but he just does not really seem to be with it anymore. He's not hip. He's not trending. His stock is not rising. And that's fine, man. I'm not going to attack Kevin McCarthy as a guy. He's probably a perfectly nice fellow, but I much prefer having Mike Johnson. I'd prefer having someone like Jim Jordan or Matt Goetz. But I'll settle for Mike Johnson for now, and we'll see what happens. It's it's a little, it's it's hard to t to say if Johnson is really gonna crack up to be this hero for conservatives. But so far, he seems to be interesting. I like that he's Christian. I like that he's a man of faith. I like that he brings his moral framework, that Judeo-Christian moral framework, into Congress, into government, because that's how it's supposed to work. This is a Christian country, and he he is a Christian nationalist. So for me, I mean, he's he's right he's right in the lane that I'm looking for. Someone who's going to bring the Judeo-Christian framework and bring God, the Creator, the Heavenly Father, back into the conversation. I think we need more God. We need more faith today. We need more prayer. We need more lessons from the Bible. All right, everyone, we're gonna wrap up there. It was a great show tonight. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I will be back guest hosting again tomorrow night for Andrea K here on the Andrea K show on the Answer San Diego. So please make sure that you tune in as well tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time because you won't want to miss it. We're going to have a great show for you lined up. We'll have Bob Walters, our education contributor, and many, many other interesting breaking stories for you. I've had a great time tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find me on X or Twitter at Riley underscore McBride underscore. And you're listening to AM 1170, The Answer San Diego. Riley McBride filling in for Andrea Kay on The Andrea Kay Show. Have a good night. Take care. Take it easy. And I will see you here tomorrow.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.